0: Hey, thanks for joining us for this series called We Are, where we're talking all about the church. And it's important we get this right because so many people get it wrong. But we, when we understand the church God's way, it's a powerful difference and we're a part of the most powerful movement in history. We hope that this will be an encouragement to you as we continue our study in Acts. We hope that you'll continue to join us as we talk all about who we are in Christ. Before you go, don't forget to Fill out your online connection card. You can do that at branchlife.church anytime and let us know that you uh, worshipped with us in this video. We'd also like to encourage you to check out the other episodes on our website or on our YouTube channel. And again, you can check in anytime with that connection card. Thanks again for joining us. We hope that this will be a powerful moment in your spiritual journey. All right. Hey, welcome this morning. Uh, We are so glad that you made it this morning to worship. You may have stayed up late last night for some particular reason. It may have been discouraging in the end, but I appreciate your dedication to rooting on the team, and I really feel like those that are true saints and followers of Jesus and also followers of the Phillies will flood the next service, right, because the early service would be too early. It's been an exciting ride if you're a Philadelphia sports fan, and I am on that ride. It's super exciting to have you here this morning. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Branch Life, and this is one of your first times with us. I just want to say particularly to you, welcome. We are so glad that you are here. We hope that our home feels like your home and that you understand that you are loved and and we cherish that you've been able to choose to join us today, whether you're in person and or online. I do want to let those that are watching online in that we are going to do communion today and if you're a follower of Jesus and you participate online, you can do this at home but you even now need to go get that stuff ready. Something to eat, something to drink and uh, bring that to the table later as we gather and do that. In the room, you don't need to do anything yet about gathering those elements. You should have a cup in front of you, in the chair in front of you. Just save that and keep that there. And the bread that you've seen scattered around is going to come into play later in the service as we try to experience, as we just sung, the presence of God. I want to take you back to 1953, all right? How many of you were alive in 1953? If you need help holding your hand up, just look to the person next to you. They can get it over there. So 1953, September 10th, 1953, something was invented by the Swanson Company. They, they saw what was happening in our culture back in, again, this is 25 years before I was born, so I don't speak from personal experience, but something was being, uh, was invented and had hit every household by 1953. It's a little thing called a television. The television was beginning to radically transform our culture and our homes. So the Swanson Company thought, you know what? I can take this invention of the television and this other invention, this frozen box that you could keep frozen food in and it would stay fresh forever and we can take frozen food bird's eye company and television and we can slam them together to create the TV dinner the TV dinner came on a tray covered in plastic and it was uh, frozen food a la carte right you just popped it in heated it up sat it on your TV tray put it in front of your TV dinner and then you ate and were thoroughly entertained. The television dinner in September 10, 1953, the first one invented was a Thanksgiving meal. It was promoted as an easy way to have Thanksgiving with your family. I don't even know if they had football back then and then watch the game, right? And so what do you, was this a success or was it a failure? 10 million TV dinners were sold in the first year, thus launching an industry of food that you could prep and then sit in front of your television and watch. Is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? Or like most inventions is it neutral based on how you use it? Did the TV dinner kill the breaking of bread? Here's a big shift that happens in this moment when you take your dinner from a circular table where you're going face-to-face with your family to in front of a television you have not just changed the way that you are consuming your life-giving sustenance you have changed what happens when you break bread when you have dinner with a friend or a family member you're engaged right dinners purpose in that moment is engagement we're going to talk and sit and have a conversation about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness if you are sitting in front of the dinner uh, with your dinner in front of the television the purpose has changed from engagement two entertainment now one of these two is all about yourself and the other is all about another person does that make sense what I'm saying to you this morning when you are engaging through your meals you are purposefully interacting with another when you are being entertained in your meals you are now crowding everything into that experience for yourself feed me entertain me thrill me instead of hey how are you? So does this concept, kill? now I was, I was talking, we've been talking about this with friends and family and a couple of examples came up this, this, this year. Maybe, maybe breaking bread was already broken for you before TV dinners ever existed and maybe there's other cultural shifts that have happened. Uh, the family meal might be a thing of the past, right? It might be considered retro or even weird. When I grew up, we had our family dinner together every night, right? And every mom just went, oh, that's exhausting. Like, how does that possibly happen? Here's what happened in my house, right? And now you're going to think I'm super weird. Not only did we sit down and have dinner together, we sat down and had breakfast together. The first thing we did in the morning was gather around our kitchen table. Here's how it worked for us. Same seats every time, right? Like, I fought with my sister about I was on the bench, right? So it was Karis, Josh, my twin brother, Jared. I was on the, I had no way out. So every meal, I was trapped. I couldn't get past my sister and I couldn't get past my brother. If I really wanted to go under the table and get out, there was a golden retriever in the way. Like that was every breakfast and every dinner for me. So I had to get there before my sister or she got mad that she had to let me in and I had to be in my spot and ready to receive our food. And so we, we got together before, before school. We got together uh, before activities. We got together in the summer. We had a certain time that we had to be at the table. We were at the table. It was ready. And then same thing would happen at dinner. Now, when I, when I would tell some of my friends or some of other you that had the same experience that we eat together as a family, people would go, you do what? How, how, how come? Why, why do you do that? And then I would ask them, how, why do you get together and eat dinner as a family? And they would say, like, we don't. Like, we fly by. Like, there's nobody in our home at the same time. So everyone's on their own for dinner. Or dinner is this buffet. Or dinner is, like, leftovers of the leftovers. Or you buy it every night. Like, there's different. Maybe fast food, broke breaking of bread. Maybe the idea that I can drive up to a window, somebody can shove all my food into my car, and I can keep driving and eat while I'm getting, it's multitasking at its finest. Maybe that broke breaking of bread, and it became utilitarian instead of engagement. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that they, and we all know who the they are, the early Christians, the first people who ever figured out what a church was, Right? Before Acts 2:42, no church. In Acts 2:42, the church is born, and we're trying to figure out why 3,000 plus people were doing this thing that God said He would build, and this thing called the church that God is building—not a place, not an institution, not a business, but people on mission for God. This church would storm the gates of hell, and the gates of hell would not stand against it. This church would change the world. They, that life-changing movement, devoted themselves to four things, four obsessions right? that became the fuel to this fire of charging the gates of hell. What four things did they dedicate themselves to? Apostles teaching, we talked about that two weeks ago. Fellowship, we talked about that last week and today the breaking of bread and then the fourth one is prayer. That is what spirit-empowered followers of Jesus are obsessed with and that's the formula that God uses to transform the world now we get it the Bible of course we're gonna be dedicated to the truth of God's word fellowship each other maybe we don't think of that as much as we should but that's a key ingredient right that's a key obsession for the church to have each other go back to last week's go back to last week's lesson and 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 rewatch it that's how important this is this fellowship thing we cannot survive without the Word of God we cannot thrive without each other. But they were also devoted to the breaking of bread, right? Now, if you're reading this for the first time and you're doing a, a, a due diligence in trying to understand these things and you get to breaking of bread, here's where the rails fall off. They were devoted to what? Breaking of bread. Okay, what? Like, have you ever stopped to say, What in the world is breaking of bread? And and why is it in, of all the things that we could say the church is devoted to, why is it in the top four? This idea of breaking of bread is so important and so groundbreaking that if anything culturally comes in and, and hijacks it, we've got to be very, very careful. Now, here's the issue. Breaking of bread has been hijacked. It's been hijacked, and so therefore, it's easy today for the American church to to not understand the importance, the powerful importance, of the breaking of bread, and maybe you're like, uh, we're going through each of these words one week at a time. I'm going to take a break on this one because it's not a big deal. It's a big deal, all right. Like, like, buckle up, Buttercup, because we're going for it. Like, you need to understand. Maybe this is the one that we're missing. And here's the dream, right? Like, if we as Branch Life Church can get a hold of these obsessions, if you understand that your heart is drawn to these because of the Spirit of God, and that that led in this way, doing these things well, that. Branch life will be a part of a movement to change our generation and our world man I'm going to get on the edge of my seat I want to make sure I'm getting this right let's not waste the breaking of bread in our lives but let's harness the power of this moment of this event of this activity because of all the things on here this is something that is day by day and hour by hour why were three thousand brand new baby Christians obsessed with the breaking of bread. This is our think it up question. Why were they so obsessed with breaking of bread? It comes up twice in this introductory passage and let me sum it up for you and then we'll unpack it. Because we cannot live without bread. We cannot live without bread. We are not alive if there's no bread. Let me reverse it. If you have bread you will be alive. How many people like going to a dead church? Nobody. Right? Have you ever been to a dead church versus an alive church? Oh it's awful to go to a dead church. It's just miserable. Right? I I don't want to go into a place where people are just sullen and gray and not excited and not joy filled and they're going through the motions like it's a bunch of zombies that just do this all the time because we have to. And yet when we were talking about the kind of church that God wants to use in northeastern Pennsylvania, he wants to use churches that are alive. He wants to use churches that are on fire. He wants to use churches that are excited about life about worship, about loving God and loving your neighbor. And then if you've ever been a part of a dead church and you get to experience an alive church, it's a drastically different experience. TV dinners have caused caused us to have dead meals versus alive conversations. There's so many levels of this truth principle that we cannot be alive without bread. Physically, you can't do it. You can't live without literally eating, right, correct? Like it's bad if you starve yourself and so don't do that. You have to be alive. Bread means it is like the basic building block of life is just having bread. The second thing is emotionally and relationally you can't live without breaking bread. You cannot live without the connections and the relationships. Your relationships will die if you don't have this practice and activity and then spiritually you cannot live without bread. You cannot live without bread. Jesus said what? I am the bread. I am the bread. And the early church understood this and so do we. And there's two key reasons the church that is alive loves, 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 is obsessed with the breaking of bread. Reason number one, we love breaking bread. Because breaking bread deepens our relationships around us. I'll say it another way. Breaking bread brings our relationships to life. Breaking bread brings our relationships to life. What is the fastest way to get to know someone and to have a great, awesome relationship with them? Have a meal together. Absol- this is why, raise your hand if your first date, or any first date you were ever on. It doesn't even have to be successful. Involved eating. Raise your hand. All of us. Our first dates involve food. Why? Because of this principle. When you get together, the fastest way to deepen a relationship, to get to know someone, is maybe the fastest, the most effective, the most appropriate way is to sit down and have a meal together. My first date with Jenny was for to a place called JR's at Flying Hills that served the best stromboli I knew of. And Jenny from Michigan heard me say the word stromboli one day and she went, what's a stromboli? And I went, you want to go on a date? <laughs> right? like, I was just looking for the in. I was just trying to figure out a way that I can build a relationship with Jen. And stromboli worked. It was powerful, right, in our lives. In our, it was our first date. We went to JR's. We had stromboli. We had conversations about life because there's something about breaking bread together that causes you to be able to engage. It's how it's been designed. Now here's the thing about deeper relationships, the deeper your relationships, right, breaking bread leads to deeper relationships, deeper relationships lead to deeper discipleship. Deeper relationships lead to deeper discipleship. Why is breaking of bread so important? Because God said, Jesus said, go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. How do we make disciples? This is super important. How do we make disciples? We build relationships. Great. How do we build relationships, are you ready for it? Breaking of bread, breaking of bread. It's it's the baby step, it's the essential, it's the life flow of relationships is being able to gather together and eat. That's why I am a proponent of families having family meals. You don't have to have breakfast and dinner every day together. I'm not saying you got to go there, although I'm thankful for that in my family's life. I am saying a regular rhythm of the family eating together is super important. What if we don't talk about anything? It's It's still important. You don't have to sit down and change the world every meal, but you do have to sit down because there's something that deepens the relationship when you do it. So Will is in the phase where he would much, much, much rather have his food on the go and an iPad. And he wants to get his food and sit in, and sit in front of his iPad. He calls it dinner anywhere. And so whenever Jenny says it's time for dinner, sure enough, you can set your watch by it. He's going to ask this question as he's running down the steps, as he's coming up from outside, as he's coming into the kitchen. Is it dinner anywhere? And we're like, no, we're eating together. He's like, oh. Why? Why do we have to eat together? And we always say something like, do you love your iPad more than me? Like, we have this conversation and we have it over and over again. He's like, no, I like it. But there's something, there's something that takes work and effort and intentionality when you decide to eat together. You, you might have to force yourself to it because it is quite frankly better, funner to be entertained. It's easier instead of just saying hey we're going to put the work in we're going to sit down why do i want to have dinner with my son instead of him sitting with dinner and watching a screen why do i have to explain this i get to hear about his day i get to see where where he was confused where he was troubled where he had fun where he got hurt He gets to hear about my day. We get to talk about what it means to parent kids that are in public school. Because my kids face things in public school. They hear kids use words that I don't want my kids to use. Words I don't want them to use. And I got to teach them, talk to them about why it's important they don't use those words and how they treat someone who does. And PS, they treat that other person with love. We're not trying to control the other person's words, we're trying to show them Jesus. So, we talk about that as a family, and it comes up in your regular natural conversations day in and day out. If we didn't have the meal together, the moment would pass us by, and I wouldn't be able to parent in the moment. That's life together at a meal. Breaking a bread causes us to come to do that. That happens when you're dating, that happens when you're parenting, that happens when you're in a friendship relationship that happens with teams that happens with coworkers, that happens with in classes right you can do life together and so whether you're engaged or whether it's a family meal we bake this into our small groups at Branch Life Church we encourage our small groups in their regular rhythms to break bread together have a meal together why would we ask you to do that we ask you to do that because of this principle it's going to cause you to have a deeper relationship when you break bread and listen I had a small group leader uh, about 20 years ago when we showed up to their house. She had the spread, right, and it was the fine china, and it was the six pieces of silverware, and seven napkins, and the four different cups. And you came in, and you were like, "Is the Queen of England coming in next, right?" And like, we thought maybe just the first time our group got together, it was going to be this spectacular display. But no, every time we came, she was just like the hostess with the mostest. You do not have to go there in order to accomplish this. Although, if you love it, go for it, right? Have a great time. You can just grab pizza on the way to a picnic table in a park where you, can, where you can break bread together. That counts just as much as a formal dinner. So we say groups, party, groups. Grab pizza, do hot dogs and hamburgers, have chili, do whatever's easy, and come together and form deeper relationships because deeper relationships mean the deeper discipleship and you'll be able to do life together. Hey, how was your week? What was good? What was bad? What was hard? We've, we've had some big conversations in our small group over dinner because someone has just said, hey, you know what happened to my ex this week? This, this XYZ came, came into my life and I don't know how to deal with it. That happens at dinner. That happens when you break bread. So we love it, we love it and we go for it and we plan our rhythms around it. The Bible talks a lot about this and it uses the word hospitality. Hospitality is one of the reasons we love breaking bread as Christians and we're obsessed with it. Romans 12, 13 says this, contribute to the needs of the saints, that's fellowship, right? Contribute to the needs of the saints, share commonality, be engaged and seek to show hospitality. You've been commanded to seek to show hospitality. Let's unpack that. 1 Peter 4.9 says, show hospitality without grumbling. Maybe you're a sports fan, and you love sports, and your wife says, we're going to have so-and-so over tonight, but honey, you know tonight's the big game, right? Like, I don't want to have so-and-so over. I don't want to go to a meeting. I want to watch the big game. Do you know that there's not either your way or the highway? What if the big game was the reason to show hospitality? And we said, we're going to bring our friends together for the game. We're going to break bread. We're going to have this meal. We're going to use the game as an excuse to do that. And now all of a sudden I'm having hospitality and enjoying the big game. Win-win. I don't know for you what caused you to grumble about your hospitality. If it's putting a formal meal together, then don't do it. But if you like bonfires in the backyard, go for that whatever you need to figure out to get rid of the grumbling figure it out but you can't get rid of the hospitality that you've got to do and maybe your home doesn't work well with hospitality maybe it's not the right setting or the right place God's got a way for that to work out too we're gonna talk about that in just a second but show hospitality without grumbling why is hospitality such a big deal why have we been asked to show hospitality well 1312 in Hebrew show hospitality to strangers for some of the, for some have entertained angels without knowing it. You know how important it is, how how a big deal it is, to possibly have taken care of an angel. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? To think that you could have inadvertently cared for one of God's special creatures, something as important as an angel. This literally happened in the book of Genesis. With Abraham and Sarah, strangers walked into town. Abraham and Sarah made sure they were getting fed. And Abraham took care of the strangers. And the Bible says that it was angels and the Lord himself, the Lord himself, walked into their home. Walked into their tent, he fed them, he gave them drink, he comforted them, he helped them on their travels, they had conversation together, and he, he never realized what he was doing in that moment. Like this is the power of hospitality, right? That you could entertain angels unawares, and the Bible says that when you give someone who is small, someone who is thirsty, someone who is naked, clothe and water, you do that for God himself. And the special creatures that God have created for us to entertain are each other. For us to be hospitable with are one another. The strangers in our neighborhoods, the ones traveling down our roads, the people that live in the the houses and the homes next to us, that work in the cubicle beside us, that attend the class with us, those are God's special creatures that he's asking us to show hospitality to. And when we show hospitality in that way, our homes have mission. Our homes have purpose. Our homes are lighthouses for Jesus. And we can use this gift and this opportunity of breaking a bread, whether it's at my home, whether it's at a cafe, or at a park, whether I've gone out and bought a meal, or I've prepared a meal, whatever it might be, we can use this idea of breaking bread to show hospitality to God's loved creation. And be on mission, even in our home. Just, I'm gonna go here in a second, but it's in my brain. Just think about what would happen if all of our homes were used for Jesus in this way. How that would transform things? If every home had a mission and accomplished it regularly through hospitality? In Timothy chapter 3, 2, this is how big a deal this is. An overseer, all right? So, like the pastors, the elders, the people that are in charge of the church. In the Bible, overseers have special. qualifications. In other words, if these things are not true of that overseer, they are disqualified from being the leader of the church, right? So what are some of those qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3? They must be, must be above reproach. You can't blame them for stuff. They must be the husband of one wife, right? Can't have, can't have lots of wives, can't be trading wives all the time, sticking with one, right? Sober-minded, not a drunkard, right? Not crazy, self-controlled, doesn't fly off the handle or have a, a temper. Respectable, I can look up to them. Hospitable, and apt to teach. Hospitable is a qualification to be a leader. Hospitable, to have the ability to actually invite a stranger into your home and show them the love of Jesus on a regular basis. This character trait of hospitality is an essential for the life of the church. I remember my, my dad a pastor and my mom Pastor Bill and Betty Jean who helped us here at Branch Life Church were very, very, very good at hospitality. Our homes were always open for people to come at any moment. Someone could join us for dinner. It didn't throw us. It didn't make anything weird. It was like automatic. We always had extra food. We always had extra places at our table. We always had extra people. We have never had a Thanksgiving dinner with the Park Clan, the extended Park Clan, without a bunch of strangers there. And it's just given that in my household, and I've got a bunch of pastors, we've got a bunch of of Christian school teachers and church leaders, when we're coming together, we've just invited people that need to have Thanksgiving. And they may have just met them this week. It happens all the time. It's pretty fun. So Sunday afternoons, we could kind of set our our rhythms by this. On Sunday afternoon, we would have Sunday afternoon dinner, and there would be people there. And most of them got invited that day, because they were there Sunday morning. I remember one Sunday, I came into into the house, and there was a, a, a pirate literally a pirate as a as a little boy it just kind of the guy had an eye patch right and he was sitting at the table and i'm like there's a pirate here for dinner i am totally eating with a pirate like this is amazing and i had dinner with a pirate we we thought those were fine they became normal for us as kids growing up but you know what my 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 more favorite meal was on sunday it was sunday night Because on Sunday night, we didn't have a big sit down formal meal. On Sunday night, almost always, we ordered hoagies and pizza. And somebody would run out for hoagies and pizza. And on Sunday nights, that's when I was like, you know what? I'm going to have my friend over. I'm going to ask my buddy who's counseling at camp with me to come to my house. Why? Because at my house, we have pizza and hoagies on, on Sunday nights and we always get more than enough and so they can come and we can show them what a stromboli is, we can have hoagies together, it's super informal, it's super fun, we love it and it's just kind of really amazing and it was radically normal for us to have people sitting down for lunch at dinner and then have people that just came over to hang out for dinner uh, for that for lunch and then the same thing to happen but informally over dinner. My parents were a, an amazing demonstration of hospitality and it's just transformed my life and it transforms so many people's lives that we engage with on a regular basis it's required it's required for christian leaders so hospitality what is it it is reaching and loving the stranger as family hospitality is the ability to reach and love a stranger as family that's what god calls us to do in our regular daily rhythms of life When's the last time you were hospitable to a stranger? When's the last time you engaged in a deeper relationship because you ate together? Listen to some of these quotes about hospitality. First of all from a friend, the best way to build a friendship is to eat together and everybody who's in the dating relationship said amen. A stranger says this, in in Christian hospitality there is a seat for everyone at the table. In Christian hospitality there is a seat for everyone at the table. Listen, there are some people that are a long ways away from accepting an invitation to a Sunday worship service because that is not the right first step for them. The right first step is for them to accept an invitation to your dinner at your house, to watch the game, to come over to the fire. And that step is so essential in our lives that we make room for people that we might disagree with. You don't give out invitations for dinner and say, would you come over for dinner? Yes, no. Are you Republican or Democrat? Yes, no. Like, this is not how this works. When we are able to be hospitable, we're entertaining strangers, and there's a seat for everyone at the table, no matter their religious views, no matter their political ideologies, no matter their preferences, no matter their lifestyle, they can come over to our home, and they will have a seat at our table because God said, love your neighbor as yourself. And you feed yourself every day, so if I'm loving my neighbor at yourself, that means I need to feed my neighbor too. There's a seat for everyone at the table. I, I uh, just met a family yesterday. We got a call from one of our community partners, husband and wife, four kids, and the, the two, two uh, seven month old, two years, six years old, and ten years old. And they've been homeless for the better part of three months. And so they've been being worked with with one of our partner organizations and the partner organizations found a home for them last minute in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. So they sent them to Pottstown, Pennsylvania and that this community organization knew we are in Pottstown and they said, listen, we have a family coming to Pottstown and they just need help. They're a great family. They're getting back on their feet. We just got them a home but they literally have nothing. So I ran over to that family yesterday. We were able to give them some donations from Costco, some mattresses and some furniture. And we're going to bring them more stuff and more food. You can go to Facebook and see what else they need. But I thought to myself, these kids, they need a place to trick-or-treat. It's coming up in like two days. You know what? My neighborhood is literally the best neighborhood in the world to trick-or-treat in. 400 homes and my neighborhood goes all out. And we've already got small group people coming to our house to trick-or-treat. It's already there. What's adding one more family? What, what is it to say to them? Hey, you guys want to come over to our place where our garage is going to be open. We're going to put a fire out there. We've got thousands of kids that come through our neighborhood, and your kids can go trick-or-treating. They're going to get a pillowcase full of candy, and we're going to give you guys a good meal. How cool would that be? I don't know if they're going to say yes. I don't know if they're going to be comfortable. But there is a place for them at our table if they want to come. The skeptic says this, in a world that loves to fight, it's hard to argue with Christ's hospitality. What's the answer to division in our world? Building relationships with people on the other side of the aisle, the other side of the argument, the other side of the conversation. And when you show Christ like hospitality, listen to this, you teach people what you're for, not against. And we are for you because Jesus loves you. We are for this world because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish and have everlasting life. And instead of them seeing Christians as this angry mob who's out there yelling about stuff, they can see you as a person who loves their neighbor. Man, that's hard to argue with. And I can demonstrate the love of Jesus in this moment because hospitality shows you what I'm for and for you and for your heart and for your eternal soul. And hospitality is, because of these things, hospitality is the ground zero of the Christian faith. Rosaria Butterfield is an author, and her story is amazing, and it's in this book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Last week I showed you the book, Gaining by Losing. I said gaining by losing is probably required reading for every member at Branch Life. So is your The Gospel Comes with a House Key. If you have not read this book, you should Read this book. Rosaria Butterfield tells her story as an academic professor at an Ivy League school living with her wife. She was skeptical of Christians and Christianity. Yet, in her fair, reasonable mind, she saw Christians as reasonable good-hearted people who were just really, really wrong, and so she decided to write a paper on why Christians were good but still wrong, and she said, I need to get to know Christians. I need to find some that I can talk to, and she ended up connecting with a pastor of a local church who just said, hey, I want you to come over for dinner. It was a God in intertwined moment. It was a, a regular conversation, invitation to hospitality. And Rosaria and her wife went over to his house and had a meal together. And they had a wonderful meal. And she thought, I need to find some Christians to get to know. And he thought, I need to be hospitable to my neighbors wherever they stand. And so they began this relationship. She says, "He, they had us over. We had a great meal. They didn't throw the gospel at us or invite us to church it was great we were welcomed as friends as peers and she said we went back to that house for dinner for years week in and week out we built a relationship and she got to understand jesus from their point of view not from her point of view She got introduced to Jesus over a multi-year period and and ultimately ended up giving her life to Christ and becoming a follower of Jesus and turning her life and patterning her life after the ways of the Bible. Why? Because her life was transformed by Jesus her heart was transformed by Jesus all through hospitality of a stranger now Rosaria is talks about how she uses her home in the same way in her neighborhood where there's hundreds and hundreds of homes and it is a home full of hospitality and every single night and I'm not saying you have to do this every single night she has neighbors friends family members their kids friends their their uh, co-workers people that they're doing life with to their house and it's just in it's out and it's just a regular pattern of life and she has story after story after story after story of life transformation simply because they were committed to their house on mission and being hospitable so many stories that she wrote a book about it so Rosaria says any single one of us can use our lives to be hospitable to meet the needs of other people let me I want you to hear it from her own words. She talks about strangers becoming neighbors, neighbors becoming friends, and friends becoming family for life when you get hospitality God's way. Listen to this.
1: I think sometimes we have a barrier to hospitality because we think literally every home has to be its own hospitality unit. And I think in some ways every home should have a a, a mission towards hospitality, but you know some homes are just they're, they're better equipped for it. Maybe you have an aged parent at home and it would be really off-putting to have people in your house. Totally understand, I've been there. Partner with somebody who doesn't. Um, maybe you're out in the country, which is great, you love it, but your nearest neighbor is five miles away. That sounds great, I don't live like that, but I sort of would like to sometimes. Partner with somebody in your church who doesn't. Find a house, be, be intentional about this. There are houses that people just organize around, and they're because of location and any number of other things. So, combine together, and it's so much fun, and it puts everybody at ease, and it also helps make host and guest a little more permeable, which is very important to hospitality. In hospitality, there is not host guest big barrier; they they never combine. That's called counterfeit hospitality. In hospitality, everybody pitches in. So uh, imagine, you know, I mean, I like to picture the Book of Acts, how, how those hospitality homes work. There were many families, probably not only uh, practicing hospitality communally, but maybe even living communally. It, it was shared and organic. And, um, and, it, and, it, and, and when you do that, there isn't so much anxiety about it, but also when you do that, you have many stakeholders in it. And so we've been blessed in our home we have so many stakeholders in our daily hospitality ministry that really, it, it, it can operate without me. <laughs> you know, I mean, I would miss a lot if I were here, but it could go on, no question.
0: I love her thought and her encouragement about what it looked like in Acts chapter 2 to be devoted to hospitality. When they had all things in common, they, they enabled you no matter what stage of life you were in, whether you were single, whether you're newlyweds, whether you're teenagers or or uh, empty nesters, or retired folks. You, we can come together, and we can be, as a team, better together, and do hospitality well. You see, in Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, it said, Day by day, attending the temple, they gathered in big worship, and then breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with everyone around them. You can do it and your group can help. You can do it and we can help. This this can be an amazing life transformation, an amazing church transformation if we become devoted to breaking of bread. So are you devoted? Are you obsessed with hospitality, with somehow making this work? And let let me unpack this for you, it's going to cause you to gain favor with all people going to cause you to gain favor with all people when you open your home and you open your life to a stranger who becomes a neighbor, a neighbor who becomes a friend, and a friend who becomes family. And if they never come to Jesus, you've at least built a relationship that will be a blessing. Some of my favorite people don't know Jesus, yet. But I love the relationship that we have together and I'm super comfortable for them to come into my home and for m- me to go into their home. And by the way, they're comfortable with it too. And I'm even a pastor. And the Lord will add to their number day by day. How do you think it was that people were getting saved every day? They didn't wait for a Sunday worship service to get saved. They were getting saved in homes and around meals. That's how it happens day after day after day. Could you imagine as if it was your parmesan, chicken parmesan that you were eating and someone accepted Jesus over it. Is that something? It was around your bonfire, if it was around your uh, Phillies game, right, that someone decided to accept Jesus as personal Savior. That's the dream and all of our homes doing that all the time, man life-changing, world-changing, momentum building, that's why we are devoted to hospitality because we love our neighbors so where do we start let me just say start with your card here's your homework hospitality homework invite someone to break bread this week this week this week if you want to be an overachiever just get it out of the way today right just do it today listen Eagles mania Phillies games stupid good excuses to have people over to your place or to go even go over there I'm inviting you myself over to your house I'm being reverse hospitality like it's gonna this is gonna happen this way now here's gonna be your temptation you're gonna want to invite me or you're gonna want to invite your best friend to your house to do this assignment don't go for a stranger it'll be far better reach out to a neighbor Think about someone who's in need or someone who's hurting right now, someone who could use the hand up, someone who could use the meal and the time of fellowship, and it doesn't have to be a marathon. It can be a half hour or an hour together. All of that counts, and on your card, if you have somebody that comes to mind today that you want to invite over or invite out to eat, however you're going to invite to your group's meal, however you're going to do it, just put their first name or their initials on the card, and we'll pray for them and i don't need we don't need to know anything else maybe it's just a friend you haven't seen in a while maybe it's maybe it's on any one of those categories stranger neighbor friend or family but be hospitable this week and then just simply repeat the process but there's a second reason we love breaking of bread we love breaking of bread because it deepens our relationship with god i want you to think about this for a moment maybe you never thought about it this way before why did god use dinner as the pattern for the communion because it happens every day. God took something so basic, so innate to our very uh, survival, the breaking of bread, the eating of a meal together, that he took that and used that to be a symbol of the most important and basic thing we need and that's the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and just like we need to have meals, like we need to have food to stay alive physically, we need to have Jesus in our lives every day to stay alive spiritually. Apart from me you can do what? Nothing. And so every day I connect to Christ and every day I come and sit down at a meal and I begin breaking bread, that becomes a physical nourishment and a spiritual nourishment. I can now symbolize, remember, examine, proclaim, understand, and embed the gospel into this moment. Just like my son Will needs his dad's input in his day, I, a son of God, needs God's input in my day. I have to share it with him. I have to engage with him. And when we think about communion, God has said, hey, stop and think about this. I am the bread. And so he instituted in the church the, the, the sacrament of communion, one of two ordinances that we follow. And the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. He took bread, the very sustenance of life. And he said, when he had given thanks, when he had given thanks, when he had given thanks, he broke it. He broke it, which this, this practice of breaking bread is something that we should be doing every day with each other. He broke the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Like this bread was torn apart, the body of Jesus was torn apart for us on the cross. His nails and his feet were nailed to that cross. His back was whipped and scourged. The crown of thorn was placed on his head. He was so so badly beaten, broken and bruised that he died on that cross. His body was broken for you because of your sin and because of my sin. He lived the life that we couldn't live and he died the death that we should have died. But he died it in our place so that we could have life. So that we could have life. So that we could have life. life, Abundant and eternal. Jesus said, I am the bread. Of life. This is my body which is for you. Do this. Do what? Break bread. Break bread in remembrance of me. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup. As oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Man, as a Christian, breaking of bread just took on a whole deeper meaning. It is our life source. It is our life source. So when we gather around the communion table, Jesus asks us in in 1 Corinthians 11 to do three things. Number one, we are to examine ourselves. To make sure that there's no wicked way in us make sure that we're not living in sin. Maybe you've been neglecting the gift of hospitality. Ask God for forgiveness for that. Maybe today you realize how important this is and how you've shoved it to the side. Maybe you've been entertained by your meals instead of engaged. Maybe maybe you've been living in a way that's wrong. Maybe you know exactly what's between your relationship with God, but when we examine ourselves, Before we break this bread and drink the cup, when we examine ourselves, we can then be in a right standing before God. When you ask forgiveness, God will forgive you of all your sins. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you can do that right now. Examine your heart and realize that you need the saving power of Jesus to save you. You can't save yourself in any other way. But if you are saved, you don't lose your salvation, but sin comes in and interrupts the relationship. Ask for forgiveness of those sins. He asks us to remember this as often as you drink it, to remind yourselves of Jesus in every moment of every day when we're surviving with life and to proclaim as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup that I am a follower of Jesus, that Jesus died for me and I'm depending on him for life. So this morning we want to end our time together in communion. And are you someone who values daily communion with God? As oft as you eat and drink, do you remember, do you proclaim, do you confess, do you examine? And when we gather ourselves, listen, when you when you daily commune with God, all comes upon every soul. All comes upon every soul. That God died for me so that I can have life and life eternal. Here's, here's the bottom line today. The church that is alive must be full of people who love breaking bread. Amen. So today, will you join me in these next five or ten minutes in having an experience and an engagement with God? Let's break bread together with God around this communion table. And here's how we're going to do it today. The the worship team is going to lead us in a song. You can sing along or you can have a time of self-examination, self-reflection. You can have a time of remembrance, of proclamation, whatever you want to do in these moments. But during this song, I want to invite you at some point to come up to one of these stations. There's two in the front, and there's three in the back. And there's broken bread. And and I want to encourage you today to actually grab the bread, break the bread off, and take that back with you to the seat. And at the end of the song, we'll will together we'll eat this bread and we'll drink this cup. If you need a cup and there's not one in front of you, there's some on the back windows. If you'd rather not touch the bread, there are bread in the cups uh, also here in the front and in the back. But don't just go through the motion, right? Don't just be entertained. Let's engage with God. Remember, his body was broken for us. And that this bread gives us life physically and more importantly, spiritually. So let's commune with God in these moments.
2: say to the It's true.
0: as we gather together in this moment to break bread we know Lord that you are present here with us God we we look at this bread and we thank you for the life that it gives physically a blessed life God where you've given generously to us thank you for this day thank you for this breath Thank you for this morning and this sunshine. And God thank you for dying for us so that we could have life eternal. Thank you for being our bread that sustains us. God that gives us spiritual nourishment and counsel and wisdom and joy. And God, I'm sorry that your body had to be broken for me. I'm sorry for my sin. And God, I am so thankful that you have forgiven me and continue to do so. So God, we take this bread and we remember your death, your body being broken. We take this cup and we remember your blood that was spilled. And we proclaim your death, God, you give us life through your death and through your resurrection. So God, in this moment, we remember you. And all God's people said, 1 Corinthians, it tells us that when he had gathered around the table, he took the bread, he broke it, and after giving thanks, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then in like manner, he took the cup. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Hey, I hope that was helpful and you learned just a little bit more about what God says the church is. If you're ready to connect with Christ, we'd love to connect with you. You can go to branchlife.church and see the gospel explained. We talked about that in this message. We'd love for you to begin your journey with Christ. We'd also love to encourage you if you're joining us for the first time or if you've joined us for many of these episodes, you can let us know by filling out your connection card also at branchlife.church. Thanks again for joining us. Check out the next episode. And if this has been an encouragement with you, please share it with your friends. Have a great rest of your day.